When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Future. We're talking real money. Oh my goodness gracious sakes alive. Don't go look at your accounts. Just don't do it. I made the mistake of doing it yesterday. Now I'm not going to do it again today because I'm looking at the numbers right now and it's just going to bum me out. You know it's going to. So don't look. Don't look. What about all of this? Okay. Yeah. Market's down in 2022. Um, let's see. It's been up for years. Guess what? <laughs> this is what happens. I know you don't like to hear it, but this is what happens. They go up, they go down. But remember, they don't, they can't. The stock market in aggregate, this is why we want you to diversify. The stock market in aggregate cannot go down more than it goes up long term. It can't because the end result of that going down more than it goes up is a global economy of zero value. I just need to drive that point home again because it's so important for you to remember when you're feeling badly about losing some of the gains you got last year. Well, remember, you got more gains last year than any investor can ever reasonably expect to get consistently. No long-term investor who's a sensible investor makes double-digit double returns with a well-diversified stock and bond portfolio year after year after year after year. It doesn't work that way. So this is the price you pay for making more than your one-tenth of one percent on a savings account at the bank. Right? Now, today is the Q&A day, the Friday question and answer session that we do every week because we get so many of your questions. And today, I'm really going to try one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm going to try for a, 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 a eight call day. So we better get right to them. And remember, you can call in your questions at 855-935-TALK. Or you can type them in, which is going to take longer to answer, at TalkingRealMoney.com slash contact or at the contact page. Or you can speak them in at TalkingRealMoney.com like, well, like Ada did. Hi, Don and Tom, but most likely Don doing the uh, Friday Q&As. I have a quick question for you guys. I am relatively young, around 30, um, have been doing investing for the last five years. For the past two years, I started overweighting in small cap value, investing in VBR. Now it's time, the market has dropped. Figured I can do some tax loss harvesting and uh, purchase a significantly similar but different uh, small cap value ETF. I know you guys have mentioned uh, AVUV, the Advantis uh, small cap value ETF as an option. 
And I was looking through the um, comparison and noticed that it's actually rated as an active, actively managed ETF. From the many times I listen to your show, you highly advise against active ETFs because they can't predict the future. We can't predict the future. And I'm just um, curious why why an active ETF would make sense. Um, yeah, I would love to get your take on that. Thanks. Oh, the old active-passive debate with these factor funds from Dimensional and Avantis and a couple of others. But now the big players in this space are Dimensional and Avantis. They, are, they, they can't call them index funds because they're not index funds. And index funds are the only, really the only way to be truly passive with your investments because you're just buying a set index. And even in that case, there, there's an argument that could be made for a tiny bit of activity in that there's a, a group at Standard & Poor's who decides who's in the index. So there's some active selecting going on. You can't have true passivity. Well, I guess you could. You can have true passivity. The only fund that I know of, well, there's probably several, but if the index just has an, a, 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 a set parameter and there's no human activity at all, that would be truly, truly, truly passive. AVUV and the other Avantis funds and the other dimensional funds have a stricter set of criteria that go into their selection process other than just buying this set portfolio of stocks. They have some rules that must occur before they're going to buy the stock. And I'll give you an example of one of the simpler rules they have. They do not buy initial public offerings. Initial public offerings have been shown over and over again to be too volatile, to be too scary, to be in a portfolio. So they will leave those out. And they have a few other criteria. And the other thing is, is that they don't create a slavishly passive fund. They're going to tilt. So they're going to, for example, in AVUV, which is a small cap value fund, they're going to tilt because they know that there's more bang to the buck for a smaller company tilt. And they also know there's more bang to the buck for a more value-oriented tilt. So they're going to take a small cap index and they're going to apply these rules. It's still rules-based. There is nobody sitting in an office somewhere going, well, let's see, our research shows that this stock should go up because uh, you know people are buying more of this. They don't do that. That is true active. This is a hybrid. It's not really active. I hate the term active. I try not to use it, but I understand why it's used because there are rules involved. So there is some human input, but it is it is a very very, very disciplined input. And uh, as a means by which to tax loss harvest, um, although do you have enough of a tax loss to even be harvesting? It may not be worthwhile, but it's it's up to you. Um, it's, it's certainly a, a reasonable swap over. And then if you want to get back to a pure index, you can go back to Vanguard. Thank you so much for your question. And we got another one that came in from the website. Here it is. Hey, Don and Tom, I love your show. Had a question about Roth IRAs. Uh, I'm over 50 years of age, so I'm eligible to contribute $7,000. But my modified adjusted gross income is such that I'm limited and I can only deposit 
let's say between one and two thousand uh, dollars. To make it simple, let's just say it's a thousand dollars. I feel like there's maybe two choices here. One, I could deposit a thousand dollars in the Roth IRA, put my other six thousand in a non-deductible IRA, and then do a backdoor to get it all into the Roth. Or could I skip that step and just put all seven thousand? in a non-deductible IRA, even though I'm eligible to put some directly into a Roth IRA and then just do the con Roth conversion for the whole $7,000. Uh, I'd appreciate any thoughts you have on that. Thanks. This is why Tom and I both believe that Congress messed up when they created the income rules for funding IRAs leaving that back door open. And that's why it's called a back door. They didn't name it a back door. People did it and they went, oh, look, there's a back door because there are no income limits on converting a non-deductible IRA into a Roth. None. So therefore, it's a nice way for people who can't directly fund a Roth to get in. And the only downside to doing it is if you do it slowly. For example, uh, if you did it today, you, you've got, you got the non-deductible IRA and the stock market went up 10%, and then you had to move the money over, you're going to have to pay taxes on the, the, um, the appreciation. And there's one other little thing, and that is on a uh, transfer like this, on a backdoor IRA or any IRA conversion to a Roth, you've got to wait five years before you can take it out without a penalty. But otherwise, you don't have to do the more complex area. Just fund the non-deductible Roth, I mean the non-deductible IRA, move it over to a Roth. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the question. guess it wasn't a call. It was online. Now, though, we go back to calls, and these came in at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Hi, this is Marie. I'm 80 years old, married. I have $17,000 in... Uh, Edward Jones, that I'd like to move to Vanguard, where I have 60000 in the 500 index fund admiral shares. The Edward Jones is invested in Duke Energy and Johnson & Johnson. And I was just wondering how that works when the funds are moved to Vanguard. Does it stay with Duke and Johnson & Johnson, or does a new account need to be set up? And are there, would there be transfer fees? If um, should it be added to the admiral shares, where which is all stock, or should I start another fund to add some bonds? This is just extra money uh, that I don't really have need for right now. But at 80 years old, I don't know when I might need it. Thank you for your reply. Well, here's where uh, uh, we're putting, again, the cart before the horse. We're talking about the investments before we talk about the you. You talked about the you just a little bit and that this might be money that you'll need in the future. And that means this is probably money that you want to, all of it, invest a little differently once you get to Vanguard. This is why I think you should probably transfer your Ed Jones account over to Vanguard. But I think the whole thing needs a rework. Um First, you shouldn't be in individual stocks. These are incredibly risky. And you might say, well, but it's Duke and Johnson & Johnson. Have you ever heard of a utility going out of business, going bankrupt? 
I have. Lots of them. And the shareholders left holding the bag. A pharmaceutical company, sure. Big corporations can go broke. Not saying that they will, but they can. And if they do, you don't just lose a 10 or 20% decline in stocks or 30 or 40 or 50% decline in the stock market. You lose everything. That's why this portfolio is just way out of balance. And this is the problem with most brokers is they invest product first, not investor need first. And that's where you really ought to consider reworking this portfolio. First off, I would go to TalkingRealMoney.com. Take the risk quiz. Take it. Find out what your risk tolerance is. Then determine what you might need out of this money. Do you really believe that uh, over the next few years, however long you have, that you might need to take how much out? How much might you need? That money should be invested in bonds. That money should be invested in a short-term, high-quality, probably even government, not making much money, bond fund. And as for the stock portion of your portfolio, just being in the S&P 500 is, in again, in my opinion, too much risk because you're, you're exposed to one of the many global markets. We are just part of the global economy, and we're not the global economy. We used to be far more of it. Now, the rest of the global economy is pretty big. You really ought to own, for the stock portion of your portfolio, something like the VT, which is the Vanguard Total World Index ETF. So take the risk quiz. I would be wanting to split this a lot more, though, a lot more, with a lot more money in bonds, probably. Thank you for the call. Another one from 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Hi. You had talked the other day about I-bonds on the show, and I had a follow-up question. The um, interest on them, is it credited quarterly, or is it credited at the time the interest rate changes, which I think is semi-annually in November and April? Or is it some other frequency? Uh, and how is it credited? Do they give you additional iShares, or do they give you um, cash? And can you withdraw that right away, or is it um, have to stay in there for a period of time? Um, Thanks very much. I'll be listening. Take care. Ah, uh, the lovely Treasury I savings bonds. And that's what these I bonds are. They're really savings bonds with an interest rate kicker. And uh, they've only gotten a lot of attention. Isn't it interesting how they finally get a lot of attention because we have inflation for the first time in a very long time? I mean, substantial inflation. How do they pay interest? Well, okay, a couple of rules for everybody listening. One, you can only put $10,000 per person per year into these iSavings bonds. Except you can also put up to $5,000 of your tax return. Your tax, not return, your tax refund. It's not called a return. The return is the thing you file. You can put your tax refund in there. So you can put up to $15,000 a year, which is great because you get the rate of inflation. It's a it's an inflation hedge. It's certainly not something for everybody's portfolio. How do they pay interest? Well, the interest, which is zero right now, and the inflation yield are added semi-annually to the value of the bond. 
So they go into the bond and then they start earning interest. So it is a semi-annual compounding. But remember, you can't take the money out the first year. And for the first five years, if you take it out, you're going to lose one quarter's worth of interest, three months' worth of interest. So they have to be in for at least five years. Thank you very much for the call. And uh, remember, our number is 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Here's our next one. Hi, my name is Lenny, and I own multiple rental properties. Three of them I own freely, no mortgage. The other two have a mortgage and my residence. My question is this. I have one child. Well, she's married now, and I have three grandchildren. Uh, I already have a living will and a POA, but someone mentioned that living trust is better than living will. So can you um, help me out to see which one I should? I don't have a living trust, but I do have a living will. Thank you. Oh, the terminology can be so confusing. I get it. I get it. Remember, there are wills. A will is a document that passes your assets on as you state in the will to your estate, whomever you name in that estate. A will has to be probated. It means it goes to court. A will has an executor. The executor hands out the assets based on the wishes of the deceased. That's a will. Then there's a living will. The terminology will drive you a little crazy. A living will is a health care document. It's a directive for your health care when you're no longer able to take care of yourself. Just as a POA gives someone else the right to make decisions for you, a power of attorney gives someone else the right to make decisions for you should you be incapacitated in some way. So those are more about taking care of you alive, a living will and a power of attorney. After death, it's really, it comes, there are variations on the theme and neither Tom nor I are attorneys. So there's no legal advice here, but I would suggest you get legal advice. You have what I consider to be a pretty complicated estate. You literally have six pieces of real estate, and we don't know. I don't I don't know. You didn't tell me what else you have in this thing. And you've got a child and grandchildren, and you gotta you gotta have a plan for what happens. And in some places, probating an estate like this could be very complicated and expensive. I don't know about where you live, but I think that given the size of your estate and the complexity of your estate. You would be very, very smart to talk to some friends, to talk to your accountant. If you have an investment advisor, real estate people you work with, get some recommendations on a good elder law attorney um, because they'll advise you on which is the best way given your situation. And what you want to do is compare the complexity to your heirs and the costs between the various options that you're given. But you need an attorney now. You've got an estate big enough and complex enough that you really do. Thank you very much for calling. I really do appreciate it. And again, remember, the number here is 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. On our Friday Q&A day here on Talking Real Money, I'm Don McDonald. And, uh, oh, also remember, you can call us live on Saturdays. Every Saturday, Tom and I get together and we go on the radio uh, in Seattle 
on a station that used to be KOMO and is now KNWN. It's 1,000 on the radio dial in Seattle. You can listen to it, stream it online. But we take your calls live. We take calls from people all over the country at the same number, 855-935-TALK. And you can call us live between the hours of 3 and 5 Pacific, or 3 and 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific time. Okay. Uh, let's see. Got another one that came in through the website. That would be, yeah, that's this one. Hi, Tom and Don. I am a Stacking Benjamins convert, so you can thank them for my patronage, all the money that I send you. Um, but my question is, I'm going to try to keep it simple. I've been contributing to a traditional 457 uh, for quite some time now. I have about $60,000. In it, I'm 34. I'll have a pension as well, state pension. So this is kind of supplementary to that. Um, but if I start contributing to a Roth version of 401k, IRA, 457, do I lose the compounding power that I would have had stacking the money in the traditional account? So all the same, the same investments, the, uh, you know, Everything the same. <clears throat> Does anything change about the compounding part? Do I lose that power since it's not pooled all together? Thank you. Roth accounts, 401ks, 457s, 403bs, IRAs, all Roth accounts compound exactly, exactly the same way as would that same investment in a post-tax or a, uh, a, a, a tax-deferred account. So like a regular IRA or a regular 457. So there's really no difference. The only difference comes at the end. Well, at the beginning, with a regular 457 or IRA, you get a deduction in your income. So you reduce your taxable income by the amount of money you put into the 457 or the IRA. For somebody in a tax, a high tax bracket currently, you're making a ton of money right now and you expect that in the future your income will go down. Then putting it in with the deduction makes a lot more sense. If you believe, though, that you're going to be a great saver, you're young, and you as you are, and you're going to just put tons of money away over the next 30-plus years, and you're going to have a ton of money in retirement, you're going to have a pension, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket, then having the ability to take money out of a tax-free Roth is going to look really attractive. So... Uh, but the compounding issue, there's no difference, none whatsoever. It's only the tax deduction at the beginning and the tax treatment at the end. Also, on a regular 401k or a Roth or a 457, you do have to take required minimum distributions at 72 years old. You don't with a Roth. So that's a good thing. We are moving right along. My goodness, we're going to get through everybody in about the same time as normal. Oh, that's awesome. All right, let's do our next one, which is a call, 2855-935-TALK. Hi, guys. I enjoy listening to your podcast. It's kind of my default one now, and I really have uh, enjoyed listening to you for about the past six to eight months and enjoy your lighthearted humor also. Uh, question. The other day I was listening to you, and you were speaking about tax efficiency, and um, I currently own um, – the Vanguard VTSAX total stock market, U.S. stock market uh, mutual fund in a non-IRA uh, brokerage account. Um, and you were speaking about perhaps 
transferring those to an ETF for tax efficiency, and Vanguard will do that um, for no fee and uh, no cost as far as uh, selling shares and uh, having to repurchase the shares in an ETF. Um, but I was looking, and they both have quarterly distributions, both the VTSAX and the VTI. Uh, and the VTI has distributions of about roughly double um, what the VTSAX does, but also the price of the VTI is roughly double, give or take, of the um, equivalent uh, mutual fund, the VTSAX. So if they both declare distributions quarterly and about the same dollar amount as far at the end of the at the end of the day, how is that tax advantageous? Just trying to learn about this. So um, thanks so much uh, for your time. I appreciate you guys and look forward to hearing what you have to say. Bye-bye. Well, both in theory and in practice, an ETF, an identical ETF to a mutual fund, is going to be more tax efficient than the mutual fund. Because when the mutual fund shifts the portfolio, rebalances, you know, has something they have to sell because the index changed or whatever it is, then and it's up in value, they're going to have to take a capital gain and then they have to pass that capital gain along to shareholders. With an ETF, that might happen. That can happen. But the manager of the ETF is going to try to avoid that happening if they are able because they can swap internally those stocks when when there's a gain or or a loss so the etf really should be more tax efficient it may not be a lot but more tax efficient than a comparable mutual fund now in your case i went and looked at both vti and vtsax both of which are the vanguard total us portfolio so they're the same portfolios one's just a fund one's an etf and I went through all of Vanguard's information. I double-checked it with Morningstar. And I do not see for 2021, for either of those funds, a single capital gain distribution. The only distributions I see that are going to be taxable to you as a shareholder are going to be about the same from either one. The, the dollar amount may be different, but the percentage of the portfolio should be almost identical. And that is dividends. Not capital gains. I don't see a capital gain distribution. The only big capital gains distributions that I can find for Vanguard funds last year were from their target date funds. And boy, those were big. They just, they, they I think they goofed up. But I mean, it's legal. But I think they made a mistake in terms of what's best for their shareholders. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think you have a, a capital gain. I have VT, and, and I don't see one, which is partially the same portfolio. And also, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't suggest that instead of having just the U.S. market, you broaden your horizons. I keep saying this over and over again. Longer term, in terms of at least volatility, you should be happier, less frightened by a global portfolio 
because while the markets seem to move short-term in lockstep, longer-term they have not in the past. So I would consider VT, but it's up to you. I don't know. You may have to go to VTI first, but then you can go over to VT with some of it. All right, we're going to do one more. We're going to do one more, and then we're going to call it a podcast. And this one, by the way, comes in via phone, 855-935-TALK. Hey, it's Matt, a UPS driver. I've called before, but I want to say this time I listened to the audio archive, and y'all mentioned Bob Frechter. And so, funny story, I live in Gainesville, Georgia. My mom has worked for Elliott Way for 35-plus years, you know, lifer. And uh, it kind of, I think, probably sparked my interest in finance. And, uh, but the irony is, Bob never offered a 401k or anything. Now, why would he? He's a bear market guy. He's been a bear market, and that's left my mom at 70 years old, you know with very, very little, and, uh, you know, pissed off at Bob all these years. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, he's done really well, and, you know, Mom made really good money, and she should have done better, but uh, nothing to, no, uh, no avenue to get her there. So, anyway, I wanted to say how much I appreciated that episode, and uh, just let you know that little bit of irony. So, all right, y'all take care. I'll keep listening. Have a good day. Bye. Oh, it's my favorite UPS driver with my favorite bad phone. You have a terrible phone or terrible cell service or something there because I had to run I had to run your call through some post processing and remove some of the noise. Otherwise, we couldn't even understand you. I'm magical with that. Your mom worked for Bob Prechter, huh? <laughs> I've been oh, back in the olden days, way back when I was a, a young pup on the radio. I uh, I interviewed Bobby Prechter. Yeah, several times. Used to be on my show a lot, late at night. Oh, my gosh. Bob Prechter, what a piece of work. He has been one of the most consistently wrong people I have ever, ever listened to in my life uh, or read about. I, it got to the point where I just totally ignored him for so many years, and you brought him back up. And, I, you know, I got to tell you, in probably, probably over a decade, since I checked the performance of the Elliott Wave. And I'm so glad that you called and got me to do it again. Because I was just curious as to how he's done. How has Bob Prechter done over the past 10 or 15 years? Well, here we go. This is fascinating. Fascinating. I went back to Market Watch, found a column from uh, June of 2010. And they're talking about Bob Prechter's predictions for the next 10 years. And he said, while, you know, the last couple of years, 2009 and 2010, have been really, really good, this is a, this is a head fake. This is just a dead cat bounce. Honest to goodness, he predicted, let me see if I can find the exact words. Yeah. Okay, uh, in the article, the author says, the clearest statement of how bad it's going to be comes from the Elliott Wave theorist discussing a numerological numerological technical theory with which it supplements the wave theory's complex patterns. Quote from Elliott Wave. Stock market bulls and most economists think a new bull market and economic recovery are underway. Most bears are either looking for a long sideways bear market or a hyperinflationary run to infinity. Our Elliott Wave outlook opposes both of these scenarios. The most likely profile is 
wait for it, a stock market crash of historic proportions. He said, this bear market is out of the super cycle degree. It'll be the biggest since 1720 to 1784. I don't even know about the 1720 to 1784 crash, but there wasn't much of a market back then. It should therefore, this is again a quote from Elliott Wave, it should therefore include a decline deeper than the 89% decline of 1929 and 32. A decline of 91.5% or more will carry it below 1,000. So basically, he was predicting that the next decade and more would send the Dow, which is the Dow, silly Dow. I don't like saying the Dow, but he said the Dow, so I have to say the Dow, would send the Dow down into three-digit territory, below 1,000. Now, if you don't follow the Dow, I understand, but where do you think it is today, even after the market's gone down recently? Is it? Is it below 1,000? No. Is it below 10,000? No. Below 20,000? Nope, nope, nope. Below 30? Nope. It's like, well, let's, let's look at the number as I'm recording this. Let's see. Let's pull up the latest numbers. Oh, come on. Don't be slow. Uh, the Dow is at 34,045. That is down 266 points from yesterday. So it's today alone, it lost three digits already. <laughs> ah, well, I'm glad your mom got a paycheck from Bob. Not surprising that he didn't do a 401k. Why, why, would he, why would he have your mom put money in the stock market when he was confident it was going to go to zero? And yet, I got to tell you, this is what's shocking. I know I'm going long. People still subscribe to this stupid thing. Really? It, it, it's been wrong. I mean, it was wrong in the 90s. He kept making these predictions, and I'm going, really? Now, I, I was young, a lot more naive than I am now, but I still didn't believe what he was saying back then. How can somebody make a living making forecasts that are consistently wrong? Decade after decade after decade after decade. I don't get the way human beings think. And thank goodness I don't, because within that little quirk of ours lies great job security for both me and for my friend Tom. So just keep calling us at 855-935-TALK or send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. And um, if you need big help, you got the big issues, you're going, oh my gosh, this portfolio has got so much stupid stuff in it because I've gone from broker to broker to advisor to insurance agent. To, uh, set up an appointment with one of our advisors at Vestry by Appella. I'm telling you, we're, we're not going to try and sell you anything. You're not going to pay anything for, for up to an hour. You can get real answers. You're going to get, you're going to be better off after than you were before. And you're not going to be annoyed by the process. It's not like a timeshare sale. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I'll even do those for the cheap vacations, but um, wow, hardcore sale. None of that from us. Just go to vestory.com, set up an appointment. Bang, bang, done. It's easy.
Thanks so much for listening to Talking Real Money and keep sending in those questions. And if need be, I'll just keep expanding this Friday podcast to get more of them in until I'll probably be doing a 24-hour podcast someday. But hey, that's my problem, not yours. I'll survive. I'll make Tom do one. All righty, let's see. What else? That's it. Call Saturdays live, 855-935-TALK, between 3 and 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. I'm Don McDonald, sitting here in my studio in Florida, reading about, researching, and, of course, talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?